Well, howdy, partner. Mighty fine of you to join us and tune in to the Paul Leslie Hour today. Glad to have you. Pull up a chair. Make yourself comfortable. Light your pipe if you have one. That's my storyteller voice. Well, there's nothing like a great story. Actually, there's nothing like a great book. There have been some wonderful authors who have been featured here on the Paul Leslie Hour, and we have one for you today. Thomas Cobb, author of Crazy Heart, With Blood in Their Eyes, Shave Tail, and other incredibly successful stories and literary works. In today's interview, Cobb talks about his life, his writing, and the American Southwest, and a lot more. You know, it's always great hearing from the listeners. One of the most common comments is how specialized the interviews are. This is one of the reasons Paul Leslie has been called the niche of the niche, or the niche of the niche, or the niche of the niche, however you want to say it. But do you know that you can be a supporter who helps keep this show going? Mm-hmm, you can. Just go to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Thanks to everyone who's contributing. And now, what a great pleasure to present Mr. Thomas Cobb, interviewed right here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome this man. He's an author. You may know him from his books Crazy Heart, Shave Tail, With Blood in Their Eyes, and also a collection of short stories, Acts of Contrition. Mr. Thomas Cobb, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. I think most stories, since you're an author, most stories start off best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Life was pretty good growing up. I grew up in Arizona, just outside of Tucson, and developed this great love of desert. I was an only child. I spent a lot of time by myself. I read. I read a lot, which is probably has a lot to do with finally becoming a writer. But I had a really good childhood. So you read a lot. What kind of stuff did you read? I read everything I could get my hands on. My father was a traveling salesman, and in those days, there weren't televisions in motels. So my dad read all night, and he would bring back these paperbacks, mostly mysteries and thrillers and things like that. And I was fascinated by their their covers, which were often pretty lurid. And so I would sneak those when he wasn't around and take them into my room, and I'd, I would read them. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I read Don Quixote. I read, I read the whole thing and just thought it was the most marvelous thing I had ever read. When did you know you were a writer? When I was a, I had always sort of, sort of dreamed of being a writer. When I was in second grade, I wrote a, a mystery story that was almost a page, full page long. But when I was in college, I was an English major. And in my senior year, I took a creative writing class and, and just loved it and took another one. And I remember one day I went in to see my teacher, who was uh, the poet Richard Shelton. 
And I just said, do I have what it takes to become a writer? And he just looked at me and he said, yeah. And that was pretty much it. You attended the University of Houston. Right. What was the biggest lesson that you learned of, from your studies? I don't know if there was one particular lesson. I guess, I guess maybe it was discipline. I worked with Donald Barthelme, the great postmodernist writer, and he was my dissertation director. And my dissertation was a book called Bad Dreams, which turned into Crazy Heart. And every week I would have to appear at Don's office with, I think it was 10 to 15 pages of, of the novel, turn them in. We would talk about what I had done the last week, and then I'd go off and I'd do my 10 pages again. And he got me into a discipline that I write pretty much every day. I try to I try to crank out three to five pages if I can. Some days I can't. Some days I can I can make that quota fairly easily. But it's become just a part of my life now. I mean, I I can't really imagine a day without writing. So bringing your writing every week to him, he right. must have made a big influence on you. Oh, he did. I mean, he was he was an amazing man. I chose Houston because uh, Donald Barthelmey was there, and I had been a reader of his for a long time. I don't write anything like he did, but he taught me an awful lot about the way that fiction works and being able to sit across the table from him, having him go over my manuscripts. I just absorbed him and an incredible knowledge of the mechanics of fiction. I picked up an awful lot from him. The times that you were writing Crazy Heart mm -hmm. by yourself, what are your most vivid memories of that time? My mo I had two. I'd originally written the first chapter of Crazy Heart as a short story, which I uh, gave to the novelist Rosellen Brown. And Frederick Bush, the fiction writer, came in for a visit, and Roselle handed him that first chapter, that story. And I went in and talked to him, and the first thing he said is, well, this isn't a short story. And I was kind of crestfallen. I didn't know exactly how I had screwed that up. But he said, it's the first chapter of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I think maybe even that night, I went back and I started writing chapter two. So that was a very important memory. And the other one was just sitting down one night. I was working on the book in the evenings. And I was writing my three pages a night. And I started writing and I realized, this is the end. It's over. I had no idea that I was that close to the end of the end of the novel. But I wrote the the scene with, with Bad in the ditch and I said, That's it. I finished it. And it was a complete surprise. And I've had that surprise um a few times since. I always start off not knowing where I'm going and kind of surprised when I get there. I'm kind of a, a Columbus of writers. <laughs> <laughs> Except, except I don't get people financing my journeys. I just do it on my own. <laughs> but I do set off not knowing where I'm going and 
not knowing exactly where I am when I get there, being surprised by it. Writing can be such a solitary pursuit, writing alone. Do you like that or dislike that? I guess I like it because I keep doing it. I mean, I think at one t- some point I probably would have quit. It's just the nature of the thing. I remember um, the poet Richard Hugo many, many years ago told me, someday when you're writing, why don't you just stop and look over your shoulder and see who's there? <laughs> and it's nobody. He said, you know, you have to write for yourself. You have to to do what feels right for you. You have to entertain yourself. If you don't please yourself, you're not going to please anybody else. That's kind of the Ricky Nelson school of writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what enchants you about the Southwest? It's the landscape of my my childhood. I, I love that landscape. I go out there often. My mother still lives in Tucson, and I go out there quite a bit. And my heartbeat just picks up when I, when I start, even before we hit the ground, as I start flying over the, the Galliero Mountains and, and then the desert around Tucson. It's something really special to me. When I was a kid, I was, I was sort of embarrassed about the West. When I was very young, I, you know, I loved the, the cowboy stories. and I grew up when the Western was everywhere on television. But by the time I got to be a teenager, I was embarrassed by the whole thing. I realized that the Westerns were uh, schlocky and, and, and goofy, and I thought only the, all important things happened in New York and Chicago, and I wanted to uh, to get back there. And then much later in my life, actually when I was at the University of Houston, I started reading a diary of a soldier who had been stationed in New Mexico and Arizona in, in the uh, 1870s, and I just thought, my God, this is just, these are these wonderful stories. These are the stories that I loved as a kid. So that that history uh, of the West, the lack of, of romance about the West. I've written two Westerns. I have a, a, a trilogy, I call the Arizona Trilogy, that shaved tail and, and with blood in their eyes so far. A lot of that is an attempt to go back and, and, and write about the West in a, in a sort of realistic, unromantic kind of way. Staying a little bit true to my, my teenage self who didn't like the, the romance of the cowboy stuff. And what about the country Western music genre? What do you think of that type of music? I love old country and Western music. I love country and Western music right up through the 80s. I don't listen to new country music. I've tried. I don't, I don't like it much. Although I like what they call alt country. There's a song, I don't remember who did it. It's an alt country song called, that, that says, you call it country, I call it bad rock and roll. <laughs> and uh, that, that's, that's pretty much my feeling about country music now. But I've never lost my love for the early country music, for Hank Williams and Hank Thompson and Ernest Tubb and even people like Ray Price and those guys. So it's, it's a kind of uh, you know, love, love-hate relationship. Were there specific country singers who inspired Bad Blake? Yeah, the physical model for Bad Blake originally was Hank Thompson. And in the first chapter where he goes into the 
strange town and, and has to play with the pickup band was based on an episode that I witnessed of, of Hank Thompson where he was playing in Tucson and I was a music critic. I was the country music critic for a little magazine and I went to the to the, sh- the show and he was opening for Conway Twitty with a band that were friends of mine. I was so impressed and depressed by the fact that great Hank Thompson, first of all, was opening for Conway Twitty and two that he just sort of rolled into town and and handed out cassettes and lead sheets to the to the band and said, "Yeah, you guys just follow me. We'll be fine." That stuck with me. And when I wrote that story that I called "Bad Dreams," that became kind of the the center of the story. Crazy Heart was made into a movie a couple of years ago. When I posted about doing this interview, there were a couple people who said. Already, it was one of their favorite movies. How did it feel for you, knowing that your book, your first novel, no less, was being made into a movie? Well, it felt very, it felt very strange, very odd. Crazy Heart was pretty much under option for one movie or another since it was published in 1987. A number of people had it. A number of people came close to actually making a film of it. And by the time Scott Cooper rolled around in, in uh, 2005, I was pretty sure it, was, it would never be made. And I, had, I hadn't even really thought about it. And I certainly didn't think that Scott Cooper could make a movie of it because Scott Cooper was a pretty unknown quantity in, in Hollywood. But it wasn't under option, and he wanted to option it, so we, we, we gladly let him have it. And then he made this movie that I thought was just just amazing. I was stunned the first time I saw it that not only was it a very good movie, and I think it was I think it was a very good movie, but he had done such a respectful adaptation of my novel, something I had had never expected. You know, when you sell a novel to somebody else, it's it's theirs; they can do whatever they want with it. I think it was Samuel Goldwyn who said that. When we buy a, a book, we buy the whole thing, but we're only interested in the title, actually. But Scott was interested in something more than that. Scott had found something in the in that novel that he really really resonated with him, and and he kept to it and did just an, a really honest and deeply felt version of it. I was incredibly pleased by it. The scene, the beginning with the song "Hold on You." What did you think of that song and that kind of beginning. I liked the the song a lot. That was a John Goodwin song. I had never heard it until I screened the movie for the first time in New York. It's somewhat different from the opening of, of, of the novel. I mean, it carries a kind of different feel to it, but I liked it a lot. I like, I like all the music in that. T-Bone Burnett just did a, a marvelous job. T-Bone is just a, a genius at finding the music that works in a film, it just pretty much knocked me out. What did you think of T-Bone Burnett as a person? What is he like? I've actually known T-Bone for a, a number of years. In 1983, T-Bone was on the road supporting his second album as a, as a solo artist. I had heard his first album, Truth Decay, which I just thought was, and still think, was just an amazing piece of music unlike anything else I'd ever really heard before 
And so I called his record company and got an interview with him and interviewed him in, in Houston. And I found him um, one of the smartest and most genial people I had ever interviewed. I liked him immediately. He's kind of unassuming, but very easy to deal with. He's very funny. He laughs a lot, something I really liked about him. We're not, we wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a close friend, but I like to think of him as a friend. Do you like Jeff Bridges as a singer? I think he's a, a passable singer. He did a solo album. First of all, I liked what he did in Crazy Heart. I thought those, he did those songs very well. He did a solo album right after the, the film. And I think it's, it's, it's uneven. He does some pretty nice things in there and he does some things that are less successful. I kind of don't understand the need that a lot of artists have to try to move into other fields. Maybe it's just that I'm such a creature of habit. I mean, I write novels and so I just write novels and then that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's my art. And I have no desire to be a, a singer, a musician. I also have no talent to be a singer and musician, but I think Jeff is a marvelous actor and he's a passable singer. What about the song Slow Boat on his solo album? How did that come to be? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I get a, I got a, a writing credit for that, which tickled me. The writing credits on the song go Bridges, Burnett and Cobb. That's pretty heady company for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I had originally in, in Crazy Heart written that his Bad Blake's great song that everybody wanted to hear is one huge hit was a song called Slow Boat. But I never wrote any uh, lyrics for it. I just had that title and they used that title and they credited me just on the basis of, of the title, which they certainly didn't have to do. I think it was very generous of both Jeff and T-Bone to do that for me. Oddly enough, it's not my favorite song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> You're a very honest man. That's good. <laughs> well, yeah, often too honest, I'm afraid. Yeah. What do you want people to get out of the experience of reading one of your books? The, the first thing, I guess, I guess, is I just want people to be entertained. I think part of a novel is, in large part, an entertainment. You read it to enjoy it. I think I make some points along the way of showing the world as, as, as I see it, offering up my kind of view of, of, of the world. And, and people seem to respond to that. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased that they do. But I mostly want people to read along and keep reading. I mean, that's sort of the, the whole trick of a novel is to keep people reading. They have to, you have to keep them reading for three or 400 pages, which is really hard to do. So I'm incredibly pleased if someone actually finishes one of my novels. That means I've kept them for, for, for that length of time. And I would like them to put it down and say, that was really good. And I also want them to understand something about the characters and something about the lives that those people live in Crazy Heart, and in fact, in all my novels, alcohol is a very important part of my life. I, I, um, I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for a very long time now. 
but alcohol played a, a huge part in my life. I want people to understand something of, of what it means to be an alcoholic and how that works and to, to maybe have some sympathy for the hmm. alcoholic and maybe get some people who are drinking more than they should to say, maybe I need, need to stop doing this for a while. Yeah. For anyone who's listening to our interview, very open-ended, what would you say to anyone listening? Read. <laughs> read, read, read. <laughs> you know, I love, I love the music, but I'm a novelist. Uh, literature, I think, is, is, is something very important. And I'm being a little bit conceited here and placing myself as a literary writer, but I hope I am. And I think literature is terribly important because it, I think it teaches us things about the world and about each other that you don't really find in in some other places. You know, psychology books don't explain things ever anywhere near as well as Dostoevsky explained things. When Dostoevsky writes of Raskolnikov, I mean, you're seeing an incredibly tortured human being, and you understand something, I hope, of what we do to ourselves frequently. And for most of us, a lot of our, our wounds are self-inflicted, as his are. And that's something that that's, I think is always in my work, is this, that we tend to do or make a lot of our, our wounds ourselves. Very true. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Thomas Cobb? Oh, everything. I've reached a point in my life where it is just so good. I taught for 24 years and, and retired in, in 2011. And I've started, I've actually gone back to the second career. I had a chance at one point to not teach, but, but write. And I chose to, to teach instead because I like to eat and I like a, a paycheck coming in every couple of weeks. And so I know that I'm going to be able to eat and that there's going to be a roof over my head. But then I got this wonderful chance after Crazy Heart to take that other road that I didn't take. And it's been great. I love, I love being able to write full time. I've got a great life. I've got a great wife, pretty great cat and dog, a nice house. I live out in the woods in Rhode Island. I wish my golf game were a little better. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm a really happy guy. So my last question. Yes. Who is Thomas Cobb? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. I think that's one of the things that you do when you write. There's a quote I just love, which is that a novelist is not someone who has something to say, but a novelist who wants to learn something. That's from the uh, Chilean writer, Jose Donoso. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out exactly who I am. You know, I'm a little bit of Bad Blake. I'm a little bit of Ned Thorne in Shavetail. There's a lot of Tom Power in me. So in many ways, all of those characters are, are kinds of self-examinations of me. I'm someone who wants to just keep learning things about myself and about the world. That's, that's my, I think, my whole reason for, for being. Wow. Well, Mr. Cobb, I'm very glad we had this opportunity. 
Well, I'm glad we did, too. I enjoyed it very much. All right. Thank you again, and I hope you have a a good rest of the day. (laughs) Thank you. You too, Paul. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.